Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you look at the, uh, the screen up there, um, you see a building. It's called the Sight and the Sound Theater. Um, this is located in Branson, Missouri. Last year in spring, we had a district pastoral conference down in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, one of the activities that we had one evening that we were free was we had the option of going to the site in the Sound Theater down in Branson. And so uh, Pastor Sharp and I uh, took up the opportunity and went there. And the, um, get my clicker on here. The presentation that we saw was Moses. Now, I don't know, how many of you have been to the Sight and Sound Theater down in Branson? A few of you, okay? It's quite a place. It's absolutely huge. And you know, when you think of going to a dramatic presentation, maybe you think of going to some place where there's a stage and, you know, it can be a nice set and everything. Well, this is like anything that you've seen and then just, just supersize it. It's like the set goes all the way around you, and uh, it's just humongous, and the sound system is uh, just astounding. And there are live animals. For example, when the presentation started, all of a sudden there was a herd of goats that went running up one of the side aisles with a shepherdess, and she gets up in the front and she says, Welcome to the sight and the sound theater. And the pre presentation begins. And there were even horses running down the aisles, and they warned you beforehand, don't go out in the aisle during the presentation, and for good reason. But it was just amazing to be there and to see this whole thing. The word that comes tumbling down off my useless pile of knowledge is the word scintillating. It's just captivating. It's, uh, it's like it sends sparks through you. But that welcome to the sight and the sound theater, Today, as we consider our Old Testament reading, it's as if God is saying to us through the prophet Isaiah of old, welcome to God's sight and sound theater. And the first thing that God brings before us is the sight and the sounds of God in his temple. Going back to our reading from Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah, moved by the Holy Spirit, wrote, in the year that King Uzziah died, that was about 740 B.C., so many centuries before Christ, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. So, Isaiah has this astounding vision. He sees God in his temple. And this is not the temple that's in Jerusalem back in the Old Testament times. This is in God's temple in heaven. He's sitting in the throne room of the universe. And Isaiah sees God in all his glory. And, and, he, and he sees him with the robe of his temple filling, or the robe of his, his hem, his robe, or the hem of his robe filling the whole temple. And you can imagine this must have just been a, an overload in terms of what he was seeing. But then he goes on and he talks about how he saw these, these seraphim or seraphim, and, and it's just a Hebrew word which, uh, you know, has uh, some debatable things about what's the, the root, the idea that's carried with it. But basically they were angel creatures 
with six wings. With two, they covered their face. With two, they flew. With two, they covered their feet. And you could imagine just what a sight that was in seeing that. Imagine if you saw something like that this afternoon. And then what's more, Isaiah said that the, the temple was filled with smoke. And we're going to see that in the next section that we, we read. And this was not smoke that came from something burning that was on fire. This was the smoke that was connected with the glory of the Lord. Think back to the days of Moses when God gives his uh, Ten Commandments to the people of Israel as they're camped around Mount Sinai. There's earthquakes, there's the rumbling of the mountain, there's, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's smoke, there's fire, and it's all a display of God's glory. Or think about when Israel's in the wilderness and God's guiding them, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And so this smoke is, is symbolizing the glory of the Lord, the Lord's presence itself. And just imagine what all of those sights put together must have done to, to uh, Isaiah's mind. But then he goes on. And he said, they, the seraphim, were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. So holy, holy, holy. Now, we just sang those, those words. And I'll tell you, being up front and hearing you all sing is a very, very powerful and a very moving thing. But just think of what it was like for Isaiah to hear those words coming out with such power that the thresholds of the temple are, are even shaking. And then, and then the message that they carry, holy, 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 that concept of God being three distinct persons and yet one God. And then the idea that uh, God is set apart from all of his creation because he is holy and he is perfect and we are not and then Isaiah hears the, the angels or the seraphim talking about how the whole earth is full of his glory. And, and he's reminded of the fact that all of creation, all of the universe is really a display of the glory of God. Think of the words of Psalm 19, that the heavens declare the glory of God. Every time you and I go outside, we look at the sky, we see the clouds, we see the sun, if it's a clear day. Or we go out at night, we see the stars and the moon. Or when, for example, we, on a, on a dark night when there is a thunderstorm, seeing the streaks of lightning lighting up the nighttime sky. While it may be scary on one hand, on the other hand, it displays the glory and the praise of God. In Psalm 149, it talks about how the mountains, the wind, the rocks, and all living creatures really are a display of God's praise, His glory. And so those, those seraphim are just reminding Isaiah and all of us that the God who is three and, and yet one and who is holy is a God who just shows himself in so many ways in everything that he has created. But we're told that in this sight, in this sound theater, we see a sinful man before a holy God and he's afraid. And he says, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among the people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And you can feel, you can sense the fear of Isaiah, can't you? 
And what is it that makes him afraid? He realizes that he is sinful, and he says, I live among a sinful people because the people of his day were very idolatrous, and one of the jobs that he had was to call those people to repentance again and again and again and tell them that if you don't turn from your sins, you are going to experience the judgment of God. But Isaiah knew how unworthy he was. And then probably the words that God had spoke to Moses centuries before when, God's, when Moses said to God, let me see your glory. And God said, no one can see my face and live. And yet here Isaiah is. He's seeing God in his glory, in his temple. And maybe he's afraid, any moment now I'm going to die. But then on the other hand, there is this great sense of unworthiness in this this, this awareness, I am really worthy of the judgment of God. Maybe you recall uh, the Apostle Peter when he's in the presence of Jesus, according to Luke chapter 5, and when he, he comes to the awareness, I, I, I'm standing here in the presence of holy God in the person of Jesus, and I'm a sinful person. He wanted Jesus to stay away from him. It's interesting in working with people, fellow church members who sometimes slide from being active in worship to becoming inactive in worship. When one follows up on those folks, uh, you know, sometimes it's a matter of something happened in their life that has interrupted their worship pattern. But sometimes one of those interruptions is something that has happened in their life that has brought them intense guilt. And when it comes to worship, they feel, how can I go into the house of God? How can I stand before a holy God because I've just done such awful things? And maybe you've had that feeling before. Or maybe you've had that feeling when you thought about, what about when I breathe my last and there I have that moment where I am meeting God? Or what about judgment day? When I'm there before God and I'm before, you know, everyone else, we're gathered before uh, Jesus as he sits on his throne in judgment. Maybe you've had that feeling as all of a sudden there's this awareness, you know, I just told a lie and you feel so low. Or, or you've got sucked into some lustful thing. Or, or you've, you've been enticed into a, a misuse of substance that, that just after a while, you know, you just feel like you're so... Um, not in control and, and you're being dominated. Maybe it's a time when you, you've come to the realization, I hurt people so, so badly, and how am I ever going to undo this? Maybe it's when you realize, I should have done this, but I didn't do it, and you shouldn't have done something, but you went ahead and you did it, and you can feel so low, and you can join with Isaiah and say, woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man or a woman of unclean lips. But the amazing thing is what happens next. Isaiah says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Now, you might think about this, and you might say, A hot coal on my lips? Man, that, that would hurt. That would really hurt. And of course, it would uh, bring new meaning to hot lips, right? But this was a cool, cleansing coal that really symbolized 
the gospel message of God's word. That coal was not a fiery judgment type coal. It was like, it was like God through his, his angel was reaching into the future to the Son of God who took on human nature in the person of Jesus and who would die on the cross. This would be the one of whom Isaiah wrote in chapter 53 that he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and so on. By his wounds we are healed. The seraphim is reaching into the future to Jesus, to the Son of God who lives that perfect life for us and dies upon the cross. And it's as a result of that that the angel can say to the Lord that your guilt is taken away, your sins are forgiven. And isn't that the same message that God proclaims to us in the gospel? Think about, you know, the words that Mr. Benzing, you know, said to you, that, you know, Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and as a result, God forgives you your sins. Think about the words of the Apostle Paul to the Romans. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, while we were ungodly, Christ died for us, not because we were worthy, but because we're so unworthy and we needed this undeserved love of God and this Savior. And as a result, Paul goes on, since we have been justified through his blood, since we have been declared innocent, forgiven, as a result of Christ shedding his blood on the cross, you know, how much more shall we be free or delivered from God's wrath? We don't have to fear that condemnation that, that the law says we deserve and that our conscience may say, you deserve that. It's true, we do. But God says to us in the gospel, you won't. You won't experience that because of Jesus. And so what a, what a beautiful gospel message Isaiah heard and experienced as he was in that sight and that sound theater of God, and what a beautiful message of the gospel you and I hear as we hear that gospel message. The last thing that we, we consider as we think about God's sight and sound theater are the sights and the sounds of God's call to serve. Isaiah said, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. You know that uh, over the past weeks, our principal, Mr. Greg Thiesfeld, has been holding a call to serve St. Mark in Citrus Heights, California. And, and I think you're probably uh, right with me in saying, you know, I was really hoping and praying that he won't go. But he announced to us on Friday that he's accepting the call, and therefore he'll be, he'll be leaving us this summer, and he'll be going there. You know, and I've heard a few people make some comments. Well, you know, that's California, and he came from warm weather when he, he left uh, out west and came here and, and so on. And, and so uh, he's got family out there and everything. And, you know, people are sort of insinuating that he's just taking that call so he can be warmer and closer and so on. But let's, let's get a grip on it here. Remember, the whole call process is a divine call process. Certainly calls come through congregations as they consider candidates that our district president or the Commission on Lutheran School gives to us. 
The, the, the people who are uh, given the, uh, the authority or the responsibility to, uh, to decide, you know, to whom should we send the call, pray about this. And they ask God to guide and to bless. And, and as Paul was talking to the people in the, the congregation, the Ephesians, he reminded them to, uh, to, to pray for uh, and to set apart those whom the Holy Spirit would appoint for, you know, leading God's flock. And so we trust that the Holy Spirit is guiding in this whole process, and therefore it is divine. So the Spirit is working through a congregation, and the Spirit is working then to guide the person who receives the call and guided Mr. Thiesfeld to accept. But we don't hear God suddenly talk to us and say, Greg, go to Citrus Heights. But that's what Isaiah experienced. Now, whether it was in a whisper like the prophet Elijah heard at Mount Horeb, whether it was in a thundering voice like the people of Israel heard when God gave the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, I don't know. But Isaiah heard the voice of God saying, Whom shall I send? Notice the singular. And who will go for us? Notice the plural. We've got the Trinity even here right in the call. And so God is calling. And the amazing thing then, God issues the call, whom shall I send and who will go? And Isaiah responds, here am I, send me. And remember, the message that he's going to bring is not going to be all, you know, nice and warm fuzzies and everything. He's going to have to call people to repentance. Why would this guy, who just a little bit before this says, woe to me, I'm a ruined man, why all of a sudden would he say, God, I'm on board with you, I want to serve you? It's because of that love and that forgiveness of God that Isaiah enjoyed so fully and richly. It has a way of moving us to want to say, thank you, Lord, and I want to serve you. And so he said, I'm here, Lord, send me. You know, every day, each one of us, in a sense, has a calling from God to carry out some role that he wants us to fulfill, whether it's as a husband, a father, a wife, a mother, whether it's as a student, a teacher, a worker, someone who's a member of our community, a member of our congregation. Every day, we are all to live to the glory of God, whether it's this or that. We're to do all things to God's glory. You think about that when you get up in the morning. God's calling me to be the best I can be to the glory of him. It's true. He wants everything you do each day of your life to be to his glory. And so every day, in a sense, he's saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Every day, I would encourage you to join with Isaiah in saying, here am I, send me, because you and I have that same reason. Our sins are all washed away. We are forgiven. We are innocent before God. We are heirs of eternal life. We know God can be with us, or will be with us, I should say, and can bless us in every way that, that we need his blessing. But also, God tells us that to each of us, he has given a gifts or gifts that can be used in ministry to carry out that great commission of making and, and nurturing disciples. And, and God wants each of us to look at ourselves and say, how has God gifted me? Is it, is it to teach? Is it to preach? Is it to serve in some way uh, in support of the ministry? 
Is it to give comfort or to show mercy or whatever? And every day God is calling us in some way or another to use those gifts as God's forgiven people, blessed with his peace, blessed with the innocence that we have in Christ, blessed with the promise of eternal life, blessed with the presence and the power of God in our lives. Let's join with Isaiah in saying, here am I, send me. And the peace of God that passes understanding will keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Jesus.